I am uh, unfortunately under embargo uh, to share what I think of the new Avengers movie, but I will be on uh, on Film Week on the 26th and uh, able to share my opinions at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, three hours. Yeah, I, you, you know how I feel about fantasy <laughs> stuff. I'm sorry, and then I get they, it. Lots of characters, through line stories. Everybody. Well, they keep at first they were saying it's 22 movies that we have to all tie up, and you know we got to bring together the 22 movie thing. And then when they really pressed the Russo brothers, they said, yeah, really, it's pretty much just tying up the first two Avengers movies and or even the last Avengers movie and. You know, Civil War. That's yeah. pretty much all it's tying up. Yeah, because there's not a. Why do you have to reach all the way back to Iron Man 1? What happened in Iron Man 1? <laughs> or in Black Panther. Or in Black matter. Panther, for that matter, it could possibly be relevant, relatively well, speaking, particularly in the early Iron because that's before they started chasing I, the stones. I guess in theory, uh, you would need to watch those movies to know who those characters are. Wow. <laughs> <Six>. <laughs> Three hours. <laughs> you know. Sometimes, you know, things Hollywood or they try to justify themselves. Sure, you know, and and that's an attempt to justify itself. That that understand. that other hour, who's, the other forty-five minutes. So who's Gwyneth Paltrow playing? Oh yeah, you got to go back to Iron Man One to figure that yeah, one out. Yeah, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna know the players if you don't have a card. So who's the who's the bald black lady? What's her scene? Oh, you see, got to watch Black Panther to understand. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah, you actually don't. No, you don't need any of that. It's all good. Um, all right. Well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna dive right into it. We got a ton to talk about today. Gonna dive right into it with PBS. Uh, I'm I'm gonna set aside this whole segment for everything PBS. There's some dramatic stuff in here. There's documentary. There's TV series. There's everything in here. Uh, just a really a grand collection of stuff. Starting off with the lone Blu-ray of PBS this week, complete third season of Victoria, which continues to be kind of uh, to live in the shadow of the mm. other series mm. based on Victoria's great great granddaughter. Yeah, double. So, double well, anyway, double, yeah. the Crown. The Crown is the Crown. better show, but Victoria is good too. Victoria is good, uh, and the third season is good. Uh, so you know. There's there's just a lot of legacy history in all of these things, but uh, I, I do enjoy the series, and I think it looks really really nice on Blu-ray, um, it, better than if you're watching it streaming, frankly. But uh, Jenna Coleman, big star, yeah, in the making, you're you're going to see a lot more of her, and uh, you know this gets into some interesting history, which I don't know how fully accurate it is, you know, with uh, Theodora, the half sister of uh, Queen Victoria. And um, it's we're now like a good solid decade into her reign, and it's uh, you know at a certain point, I, I, they're not going to go for Victoria's complete reign because no, the show will be like sixty yeah. years It'll in the main. Yeah. Although, although there's some interesting things did happen. Yes, uh, with Mister Brown. Yes, and uh, later with that uh, Indian man servant of hers. All good stuff. All good stuff. All good you know, stuff. Twenty, thirty, forty years apart. These things. Uh, the the uh, installment of Nature, Wild Way of the Vikings. Uh, as someone who is uh, descended uh, to some degree from Vikings, I find all of this stuff really, really interesting. Anything uh, pertaining to Vikings and uh, and North America and those journeys, you know, anything pre-Columbian is always interesting. Uh, Vikings are widely accepted now to have made the journey across the North Atlantic and to have had settlements, not just obviously in Iceland and Greenland, but as far uh, to the west of uh, of Scandinavia as Newfoundland and uh, Nova Scotia and 
you know, various other parts of what is today modern-day Canada. Um, so anyway, this is, uh, this is interesting. This gets into all of that stuff and, uh, you know, the, the certain cultural aspects of, uh, of Viking lore that are really, really interesting. And uh, I thought it was really done, uh, really nicely done by um, a 13, w, uh, Channel 13 of WNET. Uh, so that's Wild Way of the Vikings from Nature. Then we also have American Masters, Joseph Pulitzer, Voice of the People. Uh, you know, Pulitzer, really a fascinating figure. That what a, what a day that was that we didn't real. I mean, I wonder if they knew what giants they had in mm. Hearst and Pulitzer. Well, you know, it's interesting, particularly I'm from St. Louis. St. Louis, the home of the Post Dispatch. St. Louis yeah. Post Dispatch. Uh, one of the two major papers, though, we founded several papers uh, founded by Joseph there. Uh, including the New York World, which much of that movie is about, although the St. Louis Post-Dispatch does pop up in that movie. And, of course, the Pulitzer Pri- that, that prize, it's interesting. Um, so both he and William Randolph Hearst were horrible yellow journalists. Yeah, uh, dreadful. What, uh, just oh, really yeah. terrible. Um, uh, 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 Pulitzer went on to regret that yeah. and, 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 and completely rewrote uh, the, the the notion of what journalism would yeah. would mean from that yellow redeemed himself like kind of like himself. like Nobel exactly much, exactly much, yeah. uh, because he invented that dynamite and uh, and you'll notice that there's nothing called the Hertz Prize because <laughs> <laughs> he never regretted being a yellow journalist and he just, he kept doing it until the day he died yeah uh, so interesting that yeah that do- no that it is it, yeah. it's a really 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 good documentary great work on here uh, Leif Schreiber does the voice of uh, Joseph Pulitzer in the actual narration moments and then the general narration is done by adam driver uh also really really well done uh, co-written and directed by uh oren radovsky who is a superb documentarian this is a wonderful job also from wnet american masters joseph pulitzer voice of the people as long as we're on the uh the the topic of royals we also have Margaret, the Rebel Princess. Uh, this is a two-part documentary on Princess Margaret, who I remember my mother would talk a lot about, mm. you know, uh, the sister of, obviously, Queen Elizabeth. And Margaret was, you know, quite just really in, in her heyday was quite a, quite a controversial figure. She and was sassy. She, she was. was, you know. They, it's, the, it's the younger siblings that always go a little bit off the reservation, right? Well, the expectations she wasn't going to go lower. on to be queen. She's not, yeah. not going to be the queen. See, that's what it is. <laughs> like, no, really? You mean yeah. I, I, I'm not I'm not actually going to be a thing? All right, well then I'm just going to do what I want. It's why Harry married that sister. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I'm not going to be the king. <laughs> I'm marrying the brown chick. <laughs> Apparently, they're not getting along so well oh. there. Uh, they got to make a movie about that oh, one. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, we've got Boss: The Black Experience in Business, uh, documentary by Stanley Nelson, which is really, really superb too. Tim and I talk a lot about this. There's there just is not enough uh, emphasis on the business and the industrial history of what a lot of black American entre- mm-hmm. entrepreneurs did in the early part of the 20th century, especially. Yeah. And uh, this, is, uh, this is really, really superb. This goes all the way over about a century and a half. And uh, it really is excellent. And you're going to learn a lot about it. You're going to learn a lot about entrepreneurs and, uh, and significant business people you'd never heard of before because the public education system in- in- doesn't. In- including women. Including uh, women. Madam C.J. Walker. I think you're making a movie about Madam C.J. Walker. Madam C.J. Walker, first uh, a, a black female millionaire. Uh, um, but, but, you know, and, and you can say it that way, but what yeah. you can really say about her is she's one of the first millionaires, period. Yeah. So a black woman more than 100 years ago, uh, hair care products and devices and whatnot is yep. what she invented uh, with no education whatsoever. Uh, and uh, Madam C.J. Walker. They're making a movie about her now. Man, yeah. And you know, I'm a big fan of Lovey Yancey, yeah. who, who created Fat Burger yeah. here in, in uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. And 
That was a legendary. It still is. It's my favorite fast food place. I will not go anywhere else. I go to Fat Burger. Uh, an installment of Nova Flying Supersonic. Um, really quite interesting. People today have, it, it's weird. Like we have a generation today that doesn't really have connection to landing on the moon and they don't mm-hmm. really have a connection to supersonic passenger travel. Yeah. Those are things that happened and then went away. And then went away. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of weird. Yeah, it, and, and, and it's really strange. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that the, was the thing when you and I were kids. The notion of getting on that the Concorde, uh, that, that Concorde, yeah. you, you couldn't fly a transcontinental. You had to fly it across the Atlantic yeah. because yeah. of that sonic boom, and everybody was afraid the sonic boom. I don't even know what they were, we were afraid of. The, the I don't know. I, I guess it was just irritating. Well, you know, fifteen. It, it, the final flight of the Concorde was fifteen years ago. Believe it or not, it feels like longer than that. It but, does. Uh, I know, but uh, this gets into uh, the the race to build the Concorde. And uh, how we're actually looking at building a supersonic passenger jet again to make it now more viable and more commercial and and more sustainable, which is sort of the same thing that I think they're doing to get men back on the moon. Mm -hmm. You know, the original moon landing was not really designed to be a a repeatable, sustainable event. It was more designed to be, let's beat the Russians. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, crap, this is going to be really expensive to do this over and over. And now we're trying to get a a pipeline going. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing here. Very, very interesting. I never saw a Concorde, but I I uh, did uh, see video of the Concorde when it landed at Air France. I saw the which, Concorde. Well, that's right, because you would have, yeah. I worked at Air France, yeah. And, and yeah, it was interesting. Uh, we also have uh, two more from nature here. A squirrel's, a squirrel's Guide to Success and Dogs in the Land of Lions. Uh, Squirrel's Guide to Success is really just, it's very simple. It's uh, narrated by Anna Gasteyer, who I always enjoyed when she was on uh, SNL. And, uh, you know, you're just, you're just looking basically at the life of a squirrel, nuts and predators and trees and games and, and running across roads when you shouldn't be and getting squashed by cars and all mm. the other things that squirrels do better than anybody else. Uh, but it, it, you know, it also gets into the family of squirrels, which gets into prairie dogs and everything else. It's fine. It's very educational. It's cute. Kids will love it. Uh, Dogs in the Land of Lions is uh, essentially the um, a, a portrait of a family of African wild dogs and how they live and thrive and survive in uh, in the rich ecosystem of Africa with so much wild, uh, wildlife and everything else. Um, very, very interesting. Also uh, narrated by Tom Hargis. Mm. And uh, directed with quite a plum by Robin Keen Young. Very, very good. Very solid. Uh, Similar to that, but this is not a nature thing. This is a Nova thing because it gets into more of the science of it, is World's Fastest Animal. And World's Fastest Animal is about the peregrine falcon, which can dive at over 200 miles an hour, which is faster than any other living thing on earth can can move under its own power unless you know it's a human being at mm. the very very end of a failed skydive <laughs> at which point you're going faster than 200 miles an hour but you're also not going to survive so uh but yeah peregrine falcons are really extraordinary and and uh, you know what what enables them to go to to, to do all of these amazing things there's a lot of science to this. There's a lot of biology. There's a lot of science. It's really, really very interesting. And uh, it's good stuff. Kids will love this, too. Uh, documenting Hate is a frontline and ProPublica collaboration um, that deals with Charlottesville and New American Nazis. Uh, it, it obviously takes Charlottesville as its cue to start examining what's going on. You know, who were these people involved in the rally? And mm-hmm. how does this connect to the history of 
of other such groups in the U.S. like the KKK? And is there, you know, a straight through line or is there kind of a sideways thing? And it's a little bit uh, sort of all over the place uh, of necessity because it's only 120 minutes long. And that's a that's a big subject to wrap yourself around. But it does get into um, the, the 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 resurgence of this movement right now, where it came from, wh- what their ambitions are, and whether or not it really is just kind of a sort of a, a happenstance attack, or whether this is something that we, is a growing problem and that we need to worry about going forward. Um, if this is a conversation starter. This is not something that comes to any conclusions or any uh, any or delivers any great. Um, uh, prescriptions for how to deal with this, but it is a great conversation started. It creates awareness, and that's all we can really ask for at this point. And I hope it doesn't get uh, doesn't go any further. But it's uh, it's pretty chilling stuff. Um, another couple of novas: addiction and volatile earth. Uh, addiction obviously uh, ties in with the opioid epidemic. And things like that, you know, legal drugs like OxyContin that have become uh, a huge illicit drug at the same time. And what we can do to sort of deal with uh, treatment and, you know, what, uh, what addiction is all about under opioids as opposed to addiction under other things. Just a good rock-solid Nova. Volatile Earth is, uh, is a volcano thing. It's not as cool as the Werner Herzog volcano documentary, which goes mm. into all kinds of weird directions. But oh, we had the 3D one. Uh, it's just so cool, the, yeah, the, yeah. the Werner Herzog thing. It's so cool. Morton Magma. <laughs> I just love it when he says those things. Morton uh. Magma. Uh, no, but this this is a nice two-part Nova that gives you everything you ever needed to know about volcanoes and, and in every single corner of the world and how absolutely horrifying and terrifying they are and uh, how many people actually still live near volcanoes and are threatened by volcanoes should they ever erupt. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I always found that, that really kind of flabbergasted me uh we have a chef's life the final harvest uh which is you know this is it's kind of sad to see this go um the the five years this show has really developed quite a following and uh it will now be no longer but um it's quite great this is uh you know it's it's just the it's just been a really really fun show and great for people who love food and who love traveling and Everything else, so uh, there you go. The final harvest is out there. Um, Frankie Drake Mysteries, the complete first season. So I want to talk about this for a second. Um, This takes place in uh, the 1920s in Canada, specifically in Toronto, and follows female detectives uh, as they pursue some very unusual cases. And it's a really, really cute show, and it's very clever, and it's unorthodox, and it has a certain bizarre... Uh, Canadian sensibility to it, a little bit, uh, kind of a little wickedly funny. And uh, and the places that they go in the 1920s have all kinds of really interesting mm. socio-political ramifications to them. So it's an interesting commentary on place and time and mores and all the rest of that. And uh, it's worth checking out. I hope there are many more seasons of this. They're clearly having a lot of fun. Frankie Drake Mysteries, the first season. Also very interesting is Mrs. Wilson. Um, with Ruth Wilson and Ian Glenn, which uh, is one of the better masterpieces uh, or parts of the masterpiece uh, series recently aired here in the U.S. It takes place in 1963 and immerses you in a fascinating kind of uh, wartime, Cold War era uh, espionage tale that is a little bit kind of... Um, a little bit female James Bond, a little bit um, 
a little bit Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, it it really it's it's a it's a it's a very very interesting uh, story, and it's apparently all true. Uh, obviously, I don't know to what extent it's been dramatized, but it's pretty cool. Uh, it's all about um, well, I'll let you I'll let you check it out. It's all it's 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 all about a a um, it's all about a woman's quest to unravel mm. the truth behind something tragic that happens. That doesn't give anything away. Mm. All right, Mrs. Wilson. It's very, very cool. Um, let's see. Which of these? Here we go. I'll do this one next. The Dictator's Playbook. Uh, I have a real... My mother grew up under Hitler, so I have a bit of a bone to pick with uh, most dictators. All dictators. But, uh, you know, the this is... What's interesting about this is that this takes this is not just a condemnation of dictators, but it actually tries to do the thing that I think we we don't do often enough, which is um, why do they happen? Mm. What happens in a society that allows people to accept dictatorship? And that's a that's a much tougher subject to wrestle with. And uh, it's not just about cults of personality and and you know evil uh, manifestations of power. There are there are social conditions that are that are typically common to societies that allow themselves to disintegrate to this point. And uh, this has uh, this is this really gets into the into the root of it. Six episodes, uh, an episode a piece devoted to Kim Il Sung, the grandfather of the current dictator of North Korea, uh, Saddam Hussein, Benito Mussolini, Manuel Noriega, who mm-hmm. of course was never actually the president no. of uh, of El Salvador. No. We have to remember that he was the general. Uh, he was the, uh, of uh, Panama. A Panama, no, sorry, no, a no, Panama. Noriega, yeah, yeah, he's the so general no, of ruling general was, of that junta. But but he they he was not technically the president. The president no. was chosen by him. It mm-hmm. was a weird arrangement. Like he would pick the guy, and he and he was always saying, "Well, I'm not head of state. That guy's head of state." But everybody knew Noriega ran the country. Yeah, Noriega you know, ran the country, and he, ran, and he ran the drugs through the country too. That's it. He's uh, also the ally, an ally of the United States of America, America until he wasn't. Time, until he wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> What's that Clint Eastwood movie? Um, ooh. Hi, Heartbreak Ridge. That's it, Heartbreak Ridge. Yeah. Uh, Francisco Franco of Spain. And then the last one is Idi Amin, uh, who, of course, was depicted in... Uh, Idi Amin, da, da. Uh, Depicted by uh, Yafet Kato in, yeah. uh, in uh, Ray Raven and Tebe, yeah. and who won Forrest Whitaker, a very deserved Academy uh, Award. Last King, King of Scotland. Scotland. Yeah, put that one yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, yeah Idi, Idi Amin. Amin. Oh, man. And then the last three here, Einstein's Quantum Riddle for Nova. Uh, I, Einstein is such a fascinating figure. Um, Tim knows that you know. Years ago, my my mother used to care for a, uh, a sculptress who uh, lived to be well past a hundred. I made a little documentary about her, and she uh, she was a personal friend of Einstein's and did a bust of him that is now at uh, UCLA. Mm-hmm. So I've heard many Einstein stories uh, in those personal meetings, and I interviewed her for many hours as well. And uh, it's really really fascinating. And uh, so it's interesting when you see this and you you get into all of the um, the aspects of quantum mechanics, that stuff that even Einstein himself couldn't necessarily mm-hmm. solve. Uh, so this gets into uh, this gets into all of that all that stuff. It's not relativity; it's everything else, and how it pertains to current present day quantum uh, quantum computing. And it's really very interesting. Um, quantum mechanics and quantum physics is just a whole no, weird, a, mysterious nice area. Stuff. That cosmological constant. So bizarre. He, he did not like the idea of that, but you know. Attenborough and the Sea Dragon from Nature and BBC Earth. 
is looking at an ancient dinosaur-like freaking weird, creepy thing called an ichthyosaur that I hope they never resurrect. And that is just one utterly bizarre, extinct thing. And they do this whole reconstruction that is just really creepy. And I'm glad David Attenborough is doing what he is, but mm. man, is that creepy. And then lastly, American Experience, Sea-Lab. Uh, people don't even realize now, Sea-Lab was a thing when I was a kid. Back in the late 1960s, they, they uh, created this thing called Sea-Lab, which was basically a g big, giant, not very mobile submarine that they just dropped down into the water. Mm -hmm. And scientists would go down for months at a time and just learn stuff. It was like Skylab, except in the ocean. Mm -hmm. and it was really amazing. And uh, it, it discovered all kinds of incredible things and uh, discovered new life forms and new species and all gave us all kinds of knowledge about the oceans that we never had before. And then we just forgot about the damn thing. And, so, In some ways, um, with respect to that stuff, so, so like all of uh, man's space travel, yeah. obviously, yep. um, things like Sea Lab and Skylab, all of which were things that, as you said, happened when you and I were teenagers. Most Skylab was seventy seven. Yep. I can I think Skylab came down in seventy eight. Maybe uh, I remember there was a whole thing about where will it land. Um, all of these things that we tackled as you know as humanity, but uh, yep. very often as the United States of America, that we do not do anymore, and seem to somehow be losing uh, the impetus to do, yeah. and some in some cases the knowledge of how to do. True. And but scarier than all of that, a belief on the part of some people, particularly younger people. That we did any of these things at all. These I things know. are like myth to them, to a certain See, and that's I, I, so I'm dealing with some kids who do not believe that we walked on the moon. See, that's so disappointing. That's so, so disappointing and depressing. You know, it's really, it's, it's crazy, kind of crazy. Uh, all right. um, new, uh, new movies. A couple of new movies, a yeah. couple of them anyway. Um, on Blu ray and DVD, Tito and the Birds, perfectly lovely, absolutely stunning animation uh, from a year or so ago. I, did this get nominated? Was, would it, um, no. Did it not get nominated? No, yeah. it's a little, little too, little too uh, freakish in terms of the character design. I think it freaked people out. Freaked, in, me, in the freaked story, me out a little bit. The storyline was a little complicated too. Yeah. So it's a ten-year-old boy who lives with his mother, uh, and this there's this epidemic, this epidemic of disease that starts to spread over the world, and he figures out that it has to do with people, with what happens to people when they become afraid, when they get scared, when they get scared, they open themselves up to be able. His father. Uh, who's gone missing, has something to do with this disease. He has to go out and try to find his father so he can uh, figure out what he can do to sort of rid the world of this disease, which really means ridding the world of fear, uh, because that's when the disease overcomes you when you're afraid. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of that's kind of heavy uh, the, the, the psychological stuff there. Yeah, but it is a but it is a lovely film, Tito and the Birds. Um, Special features include an interview with the director and writer uh, and producers of the film, as well as the theatrical trailer. Um, this very, very, very creepy and disturbing movie called The Witch. Oh, man. This this is on 4K now. Why would they do that to me? Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a very difficult uh. movie to watch. Although it's pretty, pretty, pretty gory. It, uh, it's set in 1630s England. This, uh, really, this really does capture the just horrific moment of, of when... People thought witches were real. It really puts you into the mindset of thinking, maybe that crap was once real. Mm -hmm. It really does. It's creepy. It's, this one, movie. it's sort of the reverse of the thing that we, were, that we were just talking about a second ago with respect yep. to technology. Uh, there, it, there was this moment when people believed these things and thus and thus did all kinds of horrible things to each other in fear of witches and the devil. Um, uh, this family living on the edge of nowhere, wives, kids, the, the crops start to go bad, the animals mm -hmm. start to die. 
uh, and, a, and a belief in witches uh, causes everybody to yeah. turn in on themselves. Anyway, uh, 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 fairly intense film. Yeah. Uh, on 4K, The Witch. Got a couple other new ones here from Oscilloscope, um, including one of my favorite films of last year. The first one is Columbus uh, by, by Kogonada. Uh, this was known... Uh, this this got a little bit of uh, attention mainly because John Cho does delivers such a great performance in it. Um, it's a it's a very unusual movie. It's done very in a very austere, almost kind of Eastern European style. Uh, and for those who don't know, Kogonada is a Japanese artist. Um, I be- is my understanding. I'm not familiar with with any of the other art, but uh, nonetheless, um, it deals with a. Um, the son of a, an architecture scholar, played by John Cho, who um, is, uh, for reasons that it's a little bit too, too elaborate to get into, but winds, finds himself in Columbus, Indiana, for not any reason that he ever planned, and uh, develops a friendship with a uh, young woman, played by Haley Lou Richardson, who's just a, you know, she's just a, li- a kid in the library, and she loves architecture, and uh, it sort of follows their the evolution of their relationship set against this arch- this really interesting architectural background mm. in in Columbus, which you know I wouldn't have necessarily thought. But uh, it's the first film by by Kogonada, and it is uh, it is very slow. It is really slow, but it has some really good performances in it, and uh, it's uh, it's very nicely done. So you know it was a bit of an independent hit last year, and it's worth checking out if slow and architectural and artsy is your thing, and if you like John Cho. Uh, On Her Shoulders by Alexandria Bombach is one of my favorite films of last year. Uh, It's a tremendous documentary. It's about Nadia Murad, who is the Yazidi girl who escaped from ISIS. Uh, She spent years as basically a sex slave, then escaped, and has since become a a massive international icon and human rights activist and uh, doesn't really want it is what's interesting. This is not a celebration of her. This is a a fly-on-the-wall look at what it means to become an unwilling celebrity where all she ever really wanted to do was to have a a salon Mm. and help women in her country look beautiful. Mm. And next thing you know, one of the greatest human tragedies of all time has happened and, uh, you know, it, it destroyed her life. And yes, she's in a different place now, but it's not a life she would have chosen to be famous or anything of that sort, to be an activist. There yeah. are moments in this movie that will reduce you to a puddle, to an yeah. absolute puddle. Uh, and it is it is just so brutal and so, so tough to watch. But it's about more than just her, more than about the issue of ISIS and the Middle East. It's, it's about, you know, celebrity, too. Mm. And when you, get, when you get thrust into it and how our media world treats people, it is just really a superb film. It is absolutely top-notch. Uh, on Blu-ray from Oscilloscope, On Her Shoulders. Fantastic. Fantastic. Some TV? Yeah, let's do TV. Uh, let's see. Started off with Steven Universe, uh, the complete second season. Love this animated series from Rebecca Sugar. Rebecca Sugar, uh, of course, gave us Adventure Time and uh, Hotel Trans- Transylvania and uh, all, all, all sorts of very quirky, uh, funnily drawn and conceived uh, animation and cartoons that have popped up over the years on everything from FX to the Cartoon Network, including Steven Universe. Uh, which is a very sort of odd and quirky series about a, a young fellow named Steven Universe, who's half human and half Jim, uh, who wanders across the universe uh, uh, trying to protect humanity 
um, uh, from uh, all sorts of uh, horrible things, including these other gems, the white gems, uh, which intend to destroy us. So we have, uh, it's really sort of an interesting notion that exists inside this show. You have all these gems, amethysts and quartz and, and, and whatnot, and, and, and they're like creatures, actual beings. Yeah. Uh, that sort of roam around doing things. Uh, a really interesting mind, Rebecca Sugar, um, uh, to come up with all of that kind of stuff and, and put it out there. Uh, um, uh, Steven Universe from the producers of Adventure Time. Master of Dark Shadows, the gothic world of Dan Curtis. Dan Curtis, of course, being the creator of Dark, Dark Shadows. Shadows uh, and a lot of other cool movies, that Frankenstein and Dracula oh, so, in the era. So yeah. he, he's a real sort of scholar of the gothic there. Yeah. Dark Shadows was fantastic. From about 1966... Uh, up until like the about 1969-ish show, uh, Dark Shadows was this television series about Barnabas Collins, a vampire. Now, what was interesting about this show is it was it was basically a late afternoon soap opera set in this world that included uh, eventually ghosts and witches and all kinds of stuff. But it was really just a straight-ahead soap opera. Uh, with these characters, uh, loved Dark Shadows. Uh, it, it, this documentary uh, is is about Dan Curtis and that series, as well as many of the other things that he produced, and includes Ian McShane and Whoopi Goldberg and many people who grew up uh, watching these shows uh, and, and uh, Ben Cross and other shows that were created. Uh, and some of the wonderful, wonderful actors that came through Doc, Dark Shadows, including David Shelby and Jonathan Freed. Uh, and Carl, it's just so so many wonderful actors uh, actually came through uh, Dark Shadows, that wacky series from the late sixties and early and early seventies. It's really really great. Uh, Master of Dark Shadows, the Gothic World of Dan Curtis. Lots of bonus features on this DVD too. Sweet. DVD as well. Sweet. Uh, the Dick Cavett Show, Volume Three. Uh, love everything about the Dick Cavett Show. The Dick Cavett Show. Between 1968 and 1996, 1968-1996, The Dick Cavett Show aired, a show called The Dick Cavett Show, starring Dick Cavett, aired on, in various different formats and on various different networks, including ABC, CBS, PBS, the USA Network, CNC, NBC. That's how many networks, over the course of some 40-odd years, Dick Cavett traversed, pretty much doing the same thing he did from, from, from day one. Sitting there, being very erudite and smart and bright and talking to some of the other most erudite and bright and smart people uh, in, in the nation. One of the things that I always loved about the Dick Cavett show is that he didn't shy away from politics or political figures. Uh, a lot of the talk show hosts from back in the day, Mike Douglas, Mer Merv Griffin, would have politics and political figures on their shows back then. Uh, sitting right next to uh, you know Sammy Davis Jr. and uh, Joey Heatherton. Yep. Uh, you'd have Bella Abzug, uh, and, and the conversations would be fairly sophisticated across the board. One of the other things I loved about the Dick Cavett show, and because he did last so long, you see all of these absolutely extraordinary figures. This one, this set here, uh, contains several of the more important figures in the comedy world. Uh, so we start with Dick Gregory uh, in the late 60s. We do some Red Fox. We go to Richard Pryor. Fantastic. And, and, and in the middle 80s, uh, Eddie Murphy. Nice. That's the gamut that Dick Cavett covered, and those were the kind of people that were on the show. So, it, was, it was a great show. I, I used to love watching that show. Oh, I, I could love it. It's just fantastic. These range from 1972 to 1990, by the way, uh, these various different, different appearances on the Dick Cavett Show. Volume 3. Season six of A Place to Call Home from Acorn TV. Uh, this is, uh, this, I can't believe this has been on for six years already. That's just absolutely kind of mind-blowing. Uh, this takes place in 1959 in Australia, and it's really just a straight-up kind of uh, like somewhere between Downton Abbey and Dynasty. 
uh, set in Australia in the late 50s. And, and that's it. It is, uh, it's just a wonderful family drama. It's a great period piece. And for six years, they've been able to maintain this, uh, this drama and this soap opera in a really, really uh, compelling way. It's really, really, uh, it's really good. Obviously, it doesn't have the same level of following, the same mystique as something like Downton Abbey. It's not as interesting a period of time, but what a great cast. And uh, it's really, really cool. Ten episodes, uh, just about uh, nine hours worth of stuff. And uh, that is episode uh, season six of A Place to Call Home from Acorn TV. Good, good, good. Uh, Marley's Ghost, uh, seasons one and two. This is just a funny little British series that I rather enjoyed. It's about a woman. Uh, uh, um, uh, her name's Marley. Sarah Alexander, who's on this other British series called Coupling that I used to love way back Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. I remember little, Coupling. Old 90s or something Loved like Coupling. A uh, uh, great show. It was Friends before Friends. Um, yeah. in, in any case, in this series, she can, she can talk to the dead. She can see and talk to the dead. Uh, the dead people who she mm-hmm. mostly talks to include mm-hmm. her husband, her boyfriend, uh, and, yeah. and the vicar. Uh, and it's, it's clever and it's very funny. This is seasons one and two. Uh, and uh, you'll probably enjoy it. Uh, Archer, series I've never really gotten, animated show. Archer, Danger Island, the complete season nine. Uh, you know, I mean, I get it. It's like this acerbic sense of humor, and it's really ha-ha, very funny, cute, clever. I get it. It's got kind of a retro vibe and all that jazz. But, um, yeah, okay, I guess. Uh, anyway, this all uh, this was all taking place on a uh, South Pacific island in 1939, and it means to have, I think, kind of a, sort of a World War II era Indiana Jones thing going mm. on a little bit in animation, but it just feels very cliched, right? It feels very pulpy. We've been there and done that with the quicksand and the and you know the whole all that all that island stuff. Um, don't really get it. Johnny Quest kind of did that in a less obvious and ostentatious way. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's not for kids, obviously. It's it's very adult animated thing. It's got that whole kind of adult swim vibe going to it. Yeah. There's a few a couple extra features, but there it is. Archer, Danger Island, complete season nine. It's okay. Never got never much got into Archer. It was kinda okay. Uh The Big C with Laura Linney, um the complete series, um uh, Golden Globe winning series. This is really such a very, very good um, a good good series, um, and I'm glad that it didn't last uh, years and years and years and years. Won a few seasons and, and, and sort of like answered all the questions and took care of it. A lot of good acting, a lot of good performances from very interesting people. It's about a young woman, a young teacher, uh, youngish, 40, um, who gets a diagnosis with a melanoma, and she decides what she's going to try to do with the rest of her life. Uh, and, and, and what's this going to mean? It has to do with her family, who is kind of self-absorbed and some strings she's left dangling across her life. You know what's interesting about this series I, that I used to think when I was watching it? So you have this series, which is about a woman who gets diagnosed with, with cancer and what it means to her and what she does with her life. Yep. And then you have one, it's the exact same thing, about a man who gets yeah. diagnosed with cancer. And that series is Breaking Bad. Yeah. And he becomes a, a, a drug a dealing drug dealer. method. Yep. And I'm like, man, big difference between the boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> and the way we handled the exact same things there. Uh, anyway, I, I, I actually enjoyed this quite a bit. Fantastic. Uh, Patricia Arquette won a Golden Globe for Escaped at Danamora, which was this limited series that uh, Ben Stiller directed. And boy, do they let you know, they slap a big old ad right on top of this thing saying, mm. you know, Golden Globe winner Patricia Arquette. It's a good cast. Paul Dano and Benicio Del Toro co-star. And um, this was a limited uh, Showtime series um, from Ben Stiller that deals with the prison break in upstate New York 
and the uh, the manhunt that ensued. And it's uh, for those who didn't follow this at the time, it's quite fascinating um, because it, you remember that the only reason they were able to escape was because there was a, a woman who worked at the prison that became complicit. She was their inside person, and that, of course, is played here by Patricia Arquette. Mm. But, man, what a what a really, really well-done overall effort this is. Uh, ben Stiller and Patricia Arquette and uh, some of the others do a, an audio commentary. And... Um, there's a there's some featurette stuff on here as well. Um, important to remember that this has some amazing writers working on it, including Michael Tolkien and Jerry Stahl, and uh, it is uh, it is just absolutely uh, superbly well put together. Very very solid, and uh, like most of these limited series now, it understands that some stories don't fit necessarily in two hours or three hours or even four hours. you got to let them breathe. you got to kind of work them out a little bit. Mm. And uh, they do their very level best with this. It's really uh, beautifully put together, and Showtime continues to make strides that put it right at the heels of HBO every step of the way. All right, let's get into some uh, some older movies and stuff. Okay. Um, I, we got a lot of kinos here. And so let's let's uh, plow through the uh, the Kino collection of titles. Kino just keeps knocking it out of the park, man. Like I mean, like Arrow and Criterion, it's very very impressive the stuff they come up with. Uh, we only have the, these are all Blu-rays except for one. This one is the uh, the lone DVD here. Is a uh, German film called The Invisibles by a director named Klaus Raffel. And uh, this takes place in 1943 and is allegedly based in a true story. And it amazes me the true stories that keep coming out of the World War II period, the Holocaust period, that we haven't heard yet. Uh, it's really uh, quite extraordinary that this hasn't been done before. This is about four people who uh, were a after the um, after the the final the quote unquote final solution was initiated and Goebbels really lo uh, kind of lowered the boom on on rounding up everyone in Germany who could be perceived to even have a drop of Jewish blood. This is about four people who were able to uh, build basically their own underground spy networks in order to survive, and it's utterly fascinating. It's extraordinary what these people went to, the length to which they went. Like, if I were in this, I would just leave the country. Mm -hmm. Just get out. Find a way to get out. Why stay? Why stay? Why go through all that? Why put yourself at risk every single day to be, you know, on the verge of, of being killed? It just, it's, why do that? And that's what makes their courage and their ingenuity and their resourcefulness so fascinating. It's really, really interesting. It's a good film. It's called The Invisibles. And I wish it were on Blu-ray because it would be a, a wonderful film to put on Blu-ray. Um, and then we have from the Kino Classics line three interesting films here that kind of dovetail with this uh, a little tiny bit. Uh, the Informer, which is a brand new restoration by the British Film Institute National Archive uh, that features a brand new score as well. Um, this is a film from 1929 and uh, kind of a lost British film in many respects. You know, people don't really start paying attention to a lot of British movies until around about the late 1930s, early 1940s, that uh, Pygmalion, David Lean period. Uh, and there's a lot that went on before that, and uh, this is really uh, quite an extraordinary movie. This is a silent film, 1929. They weren't yet doing sound films in uh, in the U.K., and uh, although it does have a, a 
a sound version of it at 84 minutes long. It's a little bit shorter. But um, it is effectively a silent film and uh, quite a stylish and riveting one. And if you set this against some of the other British films from the period that, that, have, that still have a profile, almost all of which are Hitchcock's uh, spy films and, and at least his one silent with The Lodger, um, you get a sense of what really is kind of going on in British film at the time. It's really quite fascinating. And uh, this is based on uh, a novel that John Ford adapted into a sound film in 1935 as well. So it's uh, basically about a bunch of Irish revolutionaries in 1922 and uh, what happens when they get incredible, when they get themselves into a really, a real sticky situation. Um, very stylish, very interesting film. Uh, Underground is the uh, Anthony Asquith movie from 1928 that kind of falls into a very similar period and uh, gives you added depth to the silent period of, uh, of uh, the silent era of British filmmaking. Um, this is also, uh, you know, a, a really interesting kind of Kafka-esque uh, high-style thing. It re you realize that the high-style filmmaking wasn't just going on in Germany. And then lastly, another Anthony Asquith movie, uh, Shooting Stars, which is uh, a surprisingly funny movie. I didn't realize that they, they could laugh in England in the 1920s. Mm. And apparently they could, 1928. Um, and it is a, this is a w absolutely wonderful, clever, uh, cool movie that's kind of self-reflexive. It looks at, it was all, they were already seeing some of the interesting intricacies that went on in filmmaking at the time, so they made a movie about making movies. Mm -hmm. And it's really, uh, it's, it's, it's quite fun. It's really a lot of fun. Um, and and it's, it has historical value as well in terms of, you know, showing us what's going on behind the scenes. So it's uh, definitely worth checking out. And then we have a collection of regular studio classics titles from Kino that are a little bit all over the map, but some obviously are better than others. Uh, James Stewart and Julia Adams in Bend of the River, directed by Anthony Mann, kind of a standard issue Western. Uh, Anthony Mann made a ton of these, and Jimmy Stewart starred in a ton of them. Nothing terribly distinguishes this above the others. It's kind of the same as, as most of the others, except that it has a, you know, a nice turn by Rock Hudson in it uh, where he doesn't have to hold the screen, where he just lets Jimmy Stewart do all the other stuff. Mm. Um, and that has an audio commentary by Toby Roan of the Roan Group, which is fun. We also have uh, Scream and Scream Again, which is one of Vincent Price's uh, Hammer roles from 1970, uh, along with the other two Hammer standbys, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Mm. All of them very, very reliable and uh, it's perfectly fine. Directed by Gordon Hessler. Uh, it's about, it's a serial killer in London thing. It, you know, nothing, uh, it, it's kind of standard issue hammer thing. Uh, Tim Lucas does the audio commentary there. Uh, House of the Seven Gables with George Sanders and Vincent Price is perfectly fine. Uh, this is obviously based on the Nathaniel Hawthorne work and uh, adapted here by Lester Cole and Harold Green. And it is fine. It's a little bit stiff, made in 1940. Um, a little bit kind of studio-bound, but otherwise uh, is, is somewhat faithful to the, uh, the source material. Uh, the Strange Door with Charles Lawton and Boris Karloff. This is fun because of Charles Lawton and Boris Karloff, because mm -hmm. they're both such terrific actors, and they really, really nail this. This is based on Robert Louis Stevenson's The Sire de Malatroit's Door, 
And if that's a work that I had never heard of. I'm not familiar with it. I think most people probably aren't that familiar with it. Made in 1951 and directed by a guy who would go on to direct many Star Trek episodes, the great Joseph Pevney. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you're watching this not for any any great kind of uh, gothic or, or um, 19th century Victorian thrill. You're watching this just to see two great actors really, really ham it up, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, the Land Unknown... It's a little bit cheesy, but enjoyably cheesy. Made in 1957. Uh, this is kind of one of those H.G. Uh, Wells, um, you know, uh, hidden world, for- forgotten world, whatever that was. It, this is another one of those. You know, you find a you find a a, a, a part of the Earth that still has dinosaurs, and you have a few bad special effects, and you know, people in 1957 thought that they were watching something really, really cool. You know, not really. It's it's a little silly, but it's a you know it's a flash from the past and directed by a guy who had done a lot of those things, Virgil Vogel, who did the Mole People. So it's kind of cheesy, but in a nostalgic, fun way. Charles Bronson in Cold Sweat, along with his wife uh, Jill Ireland, and of all people, Liv Ullman and James Mason. Totally bizarre. Uh, directed by Terrence Young, a real solid uh, action director of the period. And this is pretty much a, um, a, a standard issue Charles Bronson movie of the of the era, made in 1970. He's in the south of France, and um, his past catches up with him, and some bad people come. And next thing you know, he has to, you know, he, he's got to somehow become, he's got to make a decision. He's got to go, he's mm-hmm. got to be a bad guy or a good guy. And, you know, he chooses to be Charles Bronson guy. And then lastly, here's the real, here's the real discovery this week. Uh, Becky Sharp. Miriam Hopkins in Becky Sharp, along with Cedric Hardwick and uh, some other fine, fine actors of the day, made in 1935 by director Ruben Mamoulian, who was once given an award by the L.A. Film Critics and wrote a wonderful essay that has just been uh, resurrected by one of our members, which we will post on the Lafka.net website shortly, where he praises why film critics are awesome, and we, of course, want to get that up there. But um, what's significant about Becky Sharp, directed by Ruben Mamoulian in 1935, is this is the first three-strip Technicolor movie ever made. Mm. First full Technicolor movie. There were two-strip Technicolor movies made in the 20s, but this is the first time people got a real glimpse of a, a serious Technicolor movie. And it obviously paved the way for Snow White and the Adventures of Robin Hood and uh, Gone with the Wind. And then, you know, it was, it was a steady path right into the 60s until black and white was extinct. Um, but uh, it, it basically, this is based on uh, Vanity Fair uh, and uh, does a pretty wonderful job of uh, working with all of the... Um, all of the the aspects of Thackeray's uh, opulent drama at a time when the movies weren't quite up to doing it. By the time we get to Barry Lyndon and Kubrick, then you can pretty much, you know, do anything you want to put William Makepeace Thackeray on the screen. But at the time, this was quite an ambitious movie. There just weren't the uh, the tools in terms of photography and sound to really go all the way. So what it does is really, really pushing the envelope. And uh, it's a big melodrama set against the Napoleonic Wars. And if you saw the uh, Reese Witherspoon version of it from a few years ago, uh, directed by Mira Nair, you know the story. It's basically the same story. Um, but any, nonetheless, this is really a significant thing. It's a decent transfer. Probably could be better. But nonetheless, you're, you're going you're gonna to see it better than they even saw it at the time. So uh, that's Becky Sharp from 1935, the first three-strip Technicolor movie ever, starring Marion Hopkins. And uh, it is on Kino Blu-ray. 
uh, when we knock off a few yeah, of these over here. Uh, this this is some interesting stuff, uh, all of a uh, of a type actually. Um, from Mill Creek, these two minutes to midnight, the Cold War Chronicle. I love this. This is um, I think it's about sixteen films on this, mostly short films that sort of are, are a sort of collection of Cold War documentaries and informational videos. Nice uh, of the sort, guys. Just about our age uh, would have would have would have probably been watching yeah, 10 or 15 years after. Most sure. of these were made in the late 50s, early 50s, late 50s. And real, very, Cold very, War really, stuff. real Cold War stuff. Uh, uh, a Day Called X, 1957, black and white, 27 minutes long. And CBS produced this. And it just dramatized the story of a, a of an atomic attack on Portland, Oregon. Isn't that just lovely? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that just CBS? Thank you for that. Well, Port- why Portland? I don't know. Yeah. Probably you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Who the hell knows why? They- um, uh, uh, about, about Fallout. This one's 1963. Uh, 24 minutes. Civil defense informational short discusses the fallout, uh, the harm that can, that it can cause, like you know, burning. Anyway, whatever. Um, so fascinating films. 15 of them, all in the context of the Cold War and these short films. I was actually still making films like this when I went into the Air Force mm-hmm. in 1979, uh, which of course was before the the wall came down. Uh, and one of the things that we did um, in informational services was still make uh, films like that. Uh, Cold War thrillers. These are narrative films. So this is six uh, spy-filled sagas, as they say, uh, set during the period, and uh, and it, it within the theme uh, from 1960 on up. So we've got uh, a Man on the String, 1960, very good, a uh, little Cold War thriller there. The Ditley Affair, 1966. Otley, uh, which is a neat movie that starred Tom Courtney, uh, um, uh, 1968. Nice. Uh, yeah. uh, the Dandy in Aspic, neat. Spy movie there. Wonderful thing about that, the score was done by Quincy Jones, Hammerhead, 1968, and The Executioner, 1970. So a whole little range of neat little Cold War-based thrillers uh, there. And then this one, Enigma. Interesting thing about this film, which is also a Cold War era film, 1980 is when this film is set. Uh, Interesting thing about this film, it's directed by Jeannot Schwartz. Uh, Jeannot. Who is yeah. still working? Yeah, Eighty really? years old, born in nineteen thirty-nine. Serious years old. He began his career with Ironside, nineteen Supergirl and Superman. Supergirl, too. the Virginian. Uh, oh work your way gosh. up through Longstreet. Remember Longstreet? No idea he was still working. Doctor Welby, on up through wow. all of that. Of course, then as you Black Sheep Squadron and all that. Supergirl. He had the little run of feature films there that started with Jaws two in seventy-eight, and then Somewhere in Time, wow. which is the one that I love. Me and Bridget both love that movie, Christopher. Uh, uh, Christopher Reeve, who of course would go on to be in Superman, uh, or was, had already been in Superman. And then this film that I'm holding in my hand called Enigma, which stars Martin Sheen and Bridget Fossey and Sam Neill, which is 1980. It's set in yeah. uh, 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 Russia, or the, the, the Soviet Union it would have been at the time. Kind of a complicated Cold War thriller um, um, that we worked through. But, but back to, Je- to Genot, he, con- he continues to work Right up to this day, you've watched him direct Ally McBeals and CSI Miami's in The Practice and Jags Numbers. You've watched him direct episode of Heroes and Cold Case. That's crazy. Smallville. I had you've no idea. You've watched him direct Friends. You've watched him direct Supernatural, which is still on television right right this very right. second. Uh, it's so impressive. He's I got had no 15 idea. episodes of Bones under his belt from oh 2000. And just knocked out. Just knocked out the latest episodes of Grey's Anatomy. No kidding. Janot Swartz, 80 wow. years old. That's what I'm talking about, baby. There you go. That's that, it. Don't ever retire, man. You know. Never stop. Die in the chair, baby. That's it. Die in the chair. I love it. Janot. 
Uh, got a few foreign ones here. I want to want to knock out real quickly. Um, Cam Girl is an Italian movie. Uh, it's always an always an Italian movie that does stuff like this. So Cam Girl is uh, about a woman who can't get a job in advertising, so she decides to launch a webcam operation with yeah. her friends, where they take their clothes off and you know do do what what Cam Girls smart do. move, sister. <laughs> right, uh, but of course you know it quite quickly gets uh, it becomes oh, a problem, gets no. out of control, bad element, whatever. Oh no! It, yeah, it's it's it it does what all those all those roughies and sexploitation films did in the '60s, which is titillate you for two hours and then at the very very end wag a finger and go ah, naughty naughty. That's that's what you're getting, and uh, that way they can have it both ways. Uh, so anyway, this is one of those. It's fine. It's an Italian movie. It, uh, you know, it's not. It's it's a certain kind of Italian commercial movie that's been made for 50, 60 years. Um, and then we, on the foreign end of Kino, we got a trio of films from Farid Bugadir, the uh, Tunisian filmmaker, who had a bit of a moment, really, uh, never completely caught up, uh, caught on, but a bit of a moment. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, that was sort of the high point, mainly with the movie Halloween Boy of the Terraces. Now, that's one of these three, 1990s uh, Halloween Boy of the Terraces, which is a a coming-of-age movie. It's about a boy who, you know, a Tunisian kid who... uh, Discovers has his sexual awakening when he at the at the local Turkish bathhouse and you know women in various states of uh, disrobe and so forth um, says a lot about sexuality in the Arab world, especially in in North Africa and culture and and coming of age and all the rest of that stuff. Really was a very seminal film at the time because there was just nothing coming out of North Africa mm. in terms of filmmaking except for Orson Welles movies. That you know, like that Tunisia would throw money into, mm. um, and then uh, some people, not as many, saw a summer in La Coulette, uh, which was made in 1996, and uh, it's basically an erotic comedy, and it takes place in 1967, and uh, it deals with three friends: one Jewish, one is Catholic, one is Muslim, and it you know addresses a virginity pact and how all of these cultural and religious and, and uh, national issues come into play. And uh, very, very autobiographical and very funny and has a wonderful, wonderful performance by Claudia Cardinale. Uh, and that is sort of where Bugadir and his career lay in the West until recently. Zizou and the Arab Spring is a really, really good movie. Might even be the best movie he's ever made because it is so... Intensely personal. Uh, this was made just a few years ago, in 2015, right after the Arab Spring, which some may remember began in Tunisia. Mm-hmm. Tunisia was the first place where the uprising happened mm-hmm. against the regime. And this uh, looks at that entire moment through the eyes of this young kid who's a little bit aimless and he's got a job in the city and he's just you know trying to sort of sort of find himself and find his way and he gets caught up in this moment and it is about how that changes him and his friends and his life and uh, there's always a girl mm. but it's uh, it's really good Zizou and the Arab Spring is a, is maybe the best film that uh, Farid Bugadir has ever made and it would be nice if his career were rediscovered as a result of this and uh, given a, another lease so that he could be seen internationally. Interesting. Really um, good uh, filmmaker. Tunisia, the only place where the Arab Spring actually took. Yep. Uh, and then turn into something horrible. I know. <laughs> Horribly worse. Uh, the Nemesis films, Nemesis 2, 3, and 4. Interesting. Albert Pewin directed these movies. Interesting that Nemesis 1 isn't a part of this uh, yeah. three-film collection. Only the sequels. Yes, the sequels. Yeah, you know, yeah it's wild. Uh, Albert directed them all. Uh, Albert, uh, who, of course, was an interesting, Albert Pewin, interesting guy. Uh, first film was Sword and Sorcerer back yep. in 82. 
the only Hawaiian filmmaker in American Hollywood history. The only one I can, you know, yeah. just, you know, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but you know, interesting, mostly in the science fiction. But uh, I mean, he gave us Alien Cap- from Captain L.A. America. and Cyborg and Captain America. That, that Captain the America. Original, the original yeah. Captain the original America Captain way America. back in the day. Uh, this and Knights and, kick, and a whole bunch of, bunch of kickboxer films. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and and he's a uh, sorceress. He's still got some stuff going on out there to this very day. So Albert Puin, still hanging Good in there. On you, Good on you, Albert. Good on you, Albert. Knock it out, baby. Uh, Nicholas Cage in Vengeance Love Story. <laughs> Nicholas had a little run of movies here the last two or three years. Oh my god! You know his voice in uh, Into the Spider. Yeah, he has a yeah. voice in Into the Spider. Yeah. Notwithstanding, but he had a little run of movies here in the last couple of years that have just been off the chain bananas, just crazy. Mandy yeah. was one of them. Yeah. This is another one. This is basically just a the uh, Death Wish sort of old school Charlie Bronson kind of thing. Cop. Has wife, has an, and a daughter. Wife is brutally murdered in front of his daughter. Uh, the, the daughter uh, actually identifies the attackers, but some slick lawyer, I think played by Don Johnson, if I'm not mistaken, uh, gets him off, and uh, and uh, Nick decides he's just going to kill everybody. <laughs> he just decides, you know what? <laughs> that's okay. I got it. That's I, what he does. I got it. I'm just going to kill everybody in the movie. How about that's that? How about that? Nick Cage, I love the name of the movie, Vengeance, a love story. Uh, uh, you want to knock that one yeah, off? Yeah, let me get this out. 1973's Beyond Atlantis. This is a VCI release. Uh, VCI now releasing stuff through uh, MVD. And uh, this is region-free. You can watch this anywhere in the world if you want to grab this. It's Blu-ray of the uh, classic cult film Beyond Atlantis. Uh, once again, made in uh, in the wonderful vintage year of uh, 1973. And um, this is a... This is about a bunch of people who are just looking for pearls and uh, somewhere out in the Pacific. And uh, at least I think it's the Pacific. And I think it's like near Philippines or whatever it is. Anyway, and uh, they happen upon an island where people are a little bit weird, uh, a little bit freaky. And uh, that, of course, leads to a discovery that they are descendants of dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the people, the people who, who populated Atlantis. And uh, everything gets weird and freaky and a little bit sexy. And, and uh, you know, it's just one of those exploitation movies from the 60s and 70s that just has a style and all its own. But um, the, the whole reason to see this is just because the, the, the bug-eyed attachments uh, that they put on the eyes, these prosthetics, are just absolutely hilarious. Uh, they restored this from the original negative with a 2K transfer, and it's perfectly fine-looking. It's not going to win any, any beauty awards because the movie was never that well shot to begin with, but it is a bit of a cult classic, and uh, comes with a bunch, of, a bunch of extras, including a commentary by, uh, the, by Howard S. Berger, who wrote and directed it, a, uh, a Pinoy film historian which is a little bit hilarious, and then uh, video interviews, and uh, including Patrick Wayne, son of John Wayne, who shows up in this for some reason. Yeah, every now and again, Patrick Wayne shows up. Noir Archive, nine film collection, nine films, uh, and what I would call a sort of B-noir <laughs> run of movies. You yeah. know, none, of, none of these are particularly namey. Volume 1, this is Volume 1, 1944 to 1954, so more or less starting sort of like at the beginning of noir, and you've got Ad- Address Unknown, uh, in this collection, uh, Address Unknown, uh, The Guilt of Janet Ames, Escape in the Fog, Assignment Paris, which is actually a pretty good movie, Seven uh, Eleven Ocean Drive, not bad. Johnny Electro was not a bad movie. Not at all. Johnny Electro no. was a good movie. Uh, uh, the Black Book uh, the, and the Miami and the Miami Story. So George Raft and Johnny Electro would probably be the one that um, 
that I oh, I, but actually, you know what? Rosalind Russell in Melvin Douglas in The Guilt of Janet, Janet Ames is actually a pretty good movie too. You know, so you know, like a huh. bunch of bunch of B nine nine noir film collection uh, from who is this from? Is this Mill Creek? Yeah, from yeah, Mill Creek. Mill Creek. So we got one from Arrow this week. Uh, scared stiff. Scared stiff. Mm, I remember that. Yeah, I do too. Uh, this is from the mid uh, mid mid eighties. I think mid-80s, it was mid eighties. About mid eighties. And uh, this was directed by Richard Friedman, who uh, did a lot of these things at the time, things like Doom Asylum and a bunch of other kind of, you know, cheesy movies of the era. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's an ancient curse movie. It's just about this, you know, it, it never, never, when you walk into a house, it's been cursed, and there you go, and it's going to wreak havoc on you, and there you go, don't go in the attic. Uh, and uh, there's nothing particularly unique about it other than the fact that it, for some reason, has kind of a cult following. And I've, I've tried to figure out why, and it's not because it's particularly good or anybody interesting is in it or the plot is any interesting. It's just all pretty boilerplate, but people do love it. I don't know why, but they do. So there it is. A lot of extras on here. Uh, brand new documentary on this thing, uh, featurettes and stuff on the effects, and uh, there you go. New interview even with the composer. So, I mean, they went to town. People must love this thing. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, showdown. Billy Blanks. Remember Billy Blanks? You bet. Billy Blanks running around back in the yeah. day. You know, he's, all like, you know, he's the guy that Jean-Claude Van Damme would beat up in a lot of movies. Uh, but a brother with a great body, and every now and again, Billy would manage to get himself cast as the lead in a sort of like a B, it's sort of like a B C yeah. sort of you know one of these. Sort and then of he, but then, 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 he, then he got smart and he did that workout. Tybo, Tybo, baby, Tybo. I got that VHS in there right now. Yeah, I uh, never did get that Tybo, those Tybo abs. So <laughs> never, never could quite pull it off. Anyway, this is the Billy Banks, Blanks movie with Ken Scott and Christian Taylor and Kim McLeod, and it ends up in a. A bunch of uh, mediocre martial arts, but it's not you know not the worst stuff in the world. I had a lot of fun watching these movies back in the day. All right, I got a few anime things here, and then we're gonna see if we can uh, maybe knock out a few docs. Uh, we got Kidvid. We'll probably have to save till next week, but a few little anime titles here that are worth making a mention of. Um, from Shout Factory, who's picking up a lot of really really interesting anime, is the uh, the fairly recent A Silent Voice, the movie, in a Blu-ray and DVD combo, uh, based on a, uh, a famous manga. And uh, this is actually, uh, you know, again, we talk about this all the time. These things have the, the schoolyard politics, mm. teenage politics. Mm. That's where a lot of this goes. But this one is is actually one of the better ones. It's about a um, about a deaf girl. And uh, her struggles in adapting to a new school and um, how she and this other student um, kind of discover hope through each other. It's a coming-of-age thing. I'd like to analog- uh, make an analogy to um, Comrades, Almost a Love Story, the mm. live-action Hong Kong film uh, that, uh, that by Peter Chan that starred... Uh, um, uh, some really some extraordinary talents, but uh, Maggie Chung, most notably, who won an award at the Golden Ho- uh, won Best Actress at the Golden Horse Awards at the time. Uh, this has that kind of a vibe to it, except in anime, and it's really beautiful animation from Kyoto Animation, and uh, really worth checking out. A Silent Voice, the movie, good pickup for Shout Factory. Uh, then also is My Hero Academia: Two Heroes from Funimation. Which skews younger. This is a uh, Blu-ray DVD combo set with its own uh, Funimation digital copy, which is proprietary, and I wish it weren't be. 
but uh, that it weren't. I wish it were something else. But, uh, you know, it, it, this continues to be a very, very popular franchise. Uh, it's a it's a superhero thing, and it's it's vibrantly and lively animated. But uh, I I I think it it loses a little something in the translation. But nonetheless, My Hero Academia Two Heroes will play well with the tween crowd. And then also from Funimation is uh, season one of Black Clover episodes one through fifty one, which is uh, comes with a great big nice box set, anticipating uh, part two, three, four. And five plus a, a soon-to-be-released 100-page art book. That's interesting because they are sort of uh, luring you with this packaging and saying, if you buy that big old box, you're not going to be able to keep it empty. You're going to have to buy everything else. So you're really buying season one, but you're sort of committing to everything else. So uh, that's how they get you with Black Clover. But uh, nonetheless, Black Clover is kind of worth it. Yeah. It's a really, really cool show. Uh, it takes place. It's a, you know, it's a magical fantasy saga. And uh, it, a little bit in that you know, Lord of the Ringsy style that so many of them are. But it really is beautifully animated. Great color. Great uh, character design. Uh, and, and it's got a very interesting modern-day comment on terrorism that... Uh, is quite prescient and uh, and salient. So there's that. Shall we do some documentaries? Yeah, let's uh, do it. Moynihan, a fantastic documentary by Joseph Dorman and Toby Pearl Friedlich about Patrick uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, who was a figure uh, in my life growing up as a young uh, a child, really, uh, who became a young person who was always engaged in politics. Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Um, uh, this big sort of uh, uh, Irish-looking guy um, uh, who seemed sophisticated and wore these bow ties and spoke very well and who was actually a doctor, had a Ph.D., um, uh, was this singular figure uh, um, in, on, in television and politics and in the culture wars uh, back all through the 60s and 70s. Um, you know, uh, what's interesting about Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who did a great many things, you know, he, was, he was a very influ influential intellectual sociologist, uh, political policy specialist. He was an ambassador. All this kind of stuff. And he worked across the aisle. And he worked across the aisle. Yeah. Here's the thing about him. He was a blue collar guy. Yeah. This guy. Yeah. Uh, this guy grew up uh, in Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. And I don't know why. You know, the way he came to me with the bow tie and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And he, and he wrote that landmark report on race. Yeah. Which was misread and misunderstood at the time, uh, mostly by the black community. Yeah. Uh, who didn't really understand that Daniel was on our side. Yeah. Uh, and if you read that report, it, but Daniel A lot of people uh, incorrectly said that it was victim blaming, which it wasn't. It was no. more like a problem identifying. Yeah. And uh, it's, yeah, it was, that was. That yeah, was a lot of people misunderstood. Anyway, a fascinating figure uh, of the sort you don't really see much no. nowadays in no. politics anymore. You do not. Um, after Life After Flash. <laughs> I love this. The, the Sam Jones, uh, a, doc, a doc about Sam Jones who played Flash Gordon in the 1980 Flash Gordon movie. He was also in, Loved I think it. his first film was uh, was uh, 10. That, that, remember that Bo Derek yeah, film, yeah. Blake, what's his name? Yeah. He, that film, he's in that movie. Oh, how funny. I don't uh, think right I Right before that. Flash. And, uh, and then they wanted to have a fairly interesting life and career after playing Flash Gordon in that go fairly Flash, cheesy go. movie. Go, go Flash, go. go. It was fantastic. <laughs> All kinds of people show up in this, including our late Stan Lee. Yeah. Uh, talking about uh, that movie and Sam Jones. It's really it's Sam Sam Jones is a fascinating guy and what an interest. Yeah, that's that's a good doc. 
Uh, I should let you talk about Hal. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll talk about Hal. I'll talk about both of these in the same breath here that I've got. Uh, first one, Saving Brenton, is a wonderful doc. Uh, so this is this is a crucial piece of film film history and essential for the library of anybody who want, wants a library that completely deals with film history. So um, somewhere in Iowa. In, it all, it's always a basement. People put movies in their basements. Everybody, if you have a basement, go looking in your basement because there's <laughs> bound to be film treasures in there somewhere. Basements in Argentina, they find Chaplin movies. Yeah. Basements in, you know, it's always in a basement somewhere. So in a basement in Iowa, um, this guy, Michael Zaz, discovered a complete uh, archive, a, a treasure trove of um, lost movie treasures. I mean, it was uh, absolutely extraordinary. And uh, it's all Melies stuff. All of mm. these these reels of you know movies by Melies that that just George Melies, the, uh, in the, the le- noted silent legendary yes. uh, French father uh, of uh, special you know, effects, depic- science fiction, yeah. depicted by uh, Ben, moon, King- ben Kingsley the in, that, yeah. in the uh, in the Scorsese film uh, Hugo. Hugo, yeah. But what this is also is a um, a look at the life of William Franklin Brinton, who's the guy who collected them and who projected them and who saved them. And so you're you're kind of looking at a, at, at something that's film history, but also the history of a guy who is a a, a central and now it's, was a forgotten and is now a rediscovered part of. Uh, of film history and film heritage, and it's just an absolutely wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, it's just so insightful and so fascinating, and has so many wonderful twists and turns to it, almost like a thriller in some respects. Um, Michael Zaz and uh, Tommy Haynes, John Richard, Andrew Sherborne, all of the all the the entire filmmaking team do a commentary. There's a music featurette with the composer and uh, a theatrical trailer, and it is absolutely wonderful. It's Saving Brenton, and then there is Hal. Uh, Hal is a fantastic documentary. It's about Hal Ashby, uh, the the great filmmaker of the of the '60s, primarily the '70s, and and a little bit into the '80s. Didn't have a great career, kind of down the line. But Ashby began as an editor, basically on In the Heat of the Night. Mm-hmm. Very very good friends with uh, uh, with uh, Norman Jewison. And who helped him kind of break into directing. And Hal Ashby was known as, he's like a hippie, right? I mean, yeah. He smoked a lot of pot, had yeah, long the hair, hair, the beard. Flip-flops. Flip-flops, you know, the, wore, wore like the whole hippie clothing thing. And whenever he showed it up at, at a black tie event, he was dressed like he just ran out of Woodstock. Yeah. And that was his thing. Yeah. And um, and you learn so much about him, his love of movies, his, his editing philosophy. Jewison is all over this thing. Um, this actually came across my plate because a friend of ours, knew the filmmakers when they were trying to raise money for this and he sent me their their lookbook um which was beautiful at the time yeah and i tried to facilitate some uh, some interviews for them and uh then next thing you know everything goes in hibernation they come out and they have this fantastic movie and there's a lot of stuff of ashby's that is not dealt with and a lot of people they don't talk to mm. but at the same time uh you can't get everybody like you know you would you would expect uh, uh well I, there are a number of big stars i won't yeah. i won't say but there are a number of big stars that don't show up here that it would be would have been nice to have nonetheless it's very complete and it really does give you a complete portrait of why he was such an amazing filmmaker and it's just a beautiful, beautiful tribute. Hal from Oscilloscope on Blu-ray. Um, uh, this fabulous, couple of fabulous docs right over here. The Gospel According to Andre, Andre Leon Talley, uh, one of the preeminent uh, culture, it's a, it's fashion. really, really good. It's just a really, really great doc- documentary. So this was a black man, <coughs> excuse me, raised in the Jim Crow South Yeah. Uh, by his grandmother. 
uh, a demonstrably gay black man mm -hmm. raised in the Jim Crow South by his grandmother who faced down all that you can imagine, yeah. that, uh, not only to rise to the highest levels of the fashion community, but to become one of the preeminent, yeah. just a preeminent, and he's just a fascinating human being. He's, who, he's, he, he's also all over the September issue. Which is all about the September yeah, issue of Vogue. Of Vogue, yeah. Which, Anna Wintour and all yeah, that. Who's which, in this doc? Which, which my wife worked on, uh, and that was when I first became aware of Andre, because you know, you, we were. I, I saw a lot of different cuts of the uh, of the, the September issue when they were putting it together, and um, I was like, "Who's that guy?" There mm. he is again. He's Meh. funny. <laughs> He's really cool. He's got a great way with words. He's just a big, flamboyant, larger than life character. Larger than life. Yeah. And his weight is his one struggle. You know, he's well. Yeah. Now he's, he's become he's become he's become quite large. He's always struggling with his yeah. weight. Um, but you know he he has a, a an encyclopedic knowledge of and an instinctive appreciation for fashion mm -hmm. that you can't learn. No, no, you just can't. It, it's it, a passion from a for historical him. sort of context. Yeah. And there's really great footage in this of him as a young man going back to the '60s and '70s and '80s. It's, great. it's just really, really wonderful. It's stuff. a it's a great doc. It's really wonderful. Oh, and he, well, there's a point in there where he cries. Oh, yeah, where he where he cries because someone was cruel to him. And I won't I won't get into it. You yeah. know, he he deals with the cruelty uh, over his side. Cruelty for, for, from a racial standpoint, mm -hmm. um, and it's cruelty from people who are who are in the fashion business mm -hmm. and who purport to be very broad-minded and liberal people who should be his friends. And it's how it shows you how cutthroat that business is. These aren't he he suffers more from people in the fashion from liberal people in the fashion business than he Did ever he suffered from, from, from anybody from the, the Jim, Jim Crow in the Jim Crow South, South yeah, which it's is true. It, it's it's so cutthroat. But he's so, so sensitive. I love that man. Beautiful beautiful film. You got you got a couple over there for Yeah, yeah let me let me uh let's get to Life in the Doghouse. Two men, one mission, 10,000 lives special edition. I don't know what the non-special edition was about. Um no, this is this is about two guys who um, basically created this extraordinary dog rescue, and um, it's just it, it, and that's it. There's nothing else to be said about it. But it's about two guys who made a dog rescue and rescuing dogs their 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 passion, and it was Danny and Ron's rescue. And uh, and over the course of ten years, they saved the lives of ten thousand dogs. Yeah. And it is an unbelievable story. It's really, really, uh, it's very, very touching. Even if you don't like dogs, and who doesn't like dogs, uh, it's beautiful. Uh, you, you'll, yeah. you'll just you'll just weep at every single one of these Absolutely. puppies in this just, thing. Just a lovely, lovely thing. At the drive-in, a really wonderful uh, documentary about a specific drive-in, the Mahoning Drive-in. Um, uh, which was just uh, the big last single screen sort of drive-in in the country uh, at one point and, uh, in Pennsylvania, and, uh, in Layton, Pennsylvania, and it was looking at closing, and it would have been the last one. Uh, and uh, it's all about how the people in this community come together to try to figure out a way to save this drive-in. The one big problem is that everything, as you you, you know, it's gone digital, and so yeah. now all the projectors are digital projectors. Uh, the people here cannot afford a digital projector. They can even afford the people to work in the concession stands. Most of, most of the folks who work there work there for free. Um, so they decided that one way they might be able to save the drive-in is by running nothing but... 35 millimeter print movies on their old 1945, 49 projectors. Nice. Uh, you know, if they can keep the bulbs from burning out, uh, which was a really good idea, and it's been working so far. So the Mahoning Drive-In and this wonderful little documentary at the Drive-In. Man, I love nothing. I can't even begin to tell you the films that my father I, took me 
how many uh, at drive-ins. Even when we first moved here, there was still that drive-in over there on Sepulveda. So like, is this, was it the sort of south part of Sepulveda? It's it's the drive-in that was on. Uh, it's sort of on, over in Fox Hills. Yeah, it's all condos now. Yeah, that's the one that we we got for Schlock. That's the yeah yeah. And, 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 and that and one was not long for the world we when were, you guys did that. No, that we we captured the destruction of it. Yeah, uh, that's in Schlock when they blew it up. We and that's went twenty and years ago now. Twenty years ago. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah, that that was that was my discovery. I wanted us to go shoot there, and they said, "Yeah, they're going to tear it down." And I said to Ray, "I said, oh, it's too bad they're going to tear it down." He goes, "We've got to capture that." Yeah, and yeah. he was right. And that was the last it. drive-in theater that I ever saw a drive-in movie in. We got inside. Theater. We have the only footage of that thing being blown apart from inside. And one of those sheets of wood, the plywood, as it came sheeting off, almost took Ray out. Oh wow! It went like fifty feet right across that that parking lot, oh, and. All the news coverage was outside. They didn't get it from inside. We got it inside. Yeah. That's, well, well. that's a thing. Uh, anyway, a, an absolutely horrific family true crime story is the subject of the special edition of The Family I Had. I will not go into the details of what happens in this family. It's, it's, it's so brutal and horrific, I, I can't even get into it. Um, it the... I can't really recommend this unless you have a real steel constitution because the what happened to this family uh, is is deeply disturbing and you'll have nightmares for weeks. But if you are the kind of person that likes this stuff, mm. the family I had is certainly in your uh, in your ballpark. Um, just know what you're getting into. It's it, it's a story I guess it needs to be told, but I don't know that it needed to be told quite like that. And then uh, lastly, I'm just going to make a quick mention. Uh, this is not anime, but this is certainly from uh, an anime company. Uh, this is from Switchblade Pictures. You can uh, look, get, learn more about it at switchbladepictures.net. This is Corpse Prison Part 2. Mm. Um, presumably, I think this is based on a manga, but in any case, if you saw the previous Corpse Prison, uh, you know what this is. This is, uh, you know, a... Uh, uh, there's a there's a there's a um, there's a there's a, a kind of a ghostly town hidden away in the Japanese mountains somewhere, and uh, it's like this weird kind of a culty deal. I don't want to say it's like the uh, what what would it be like? Um, well, any number of cult movies, I guess, in Hollywood. But uh, it is uh, so you know a couple of girls wind up falling in with this thing, and next thing you know, there's all kinds of horrific, nasty, gory stuff going on, and uh, it's time to try to escape. And the usual, uh, we've we've kind of seen variations uh, variations on this theme many many times before. Um, I have only a vague recollection of Corpse Prison Part One, and I don't mm. remember that it needed a part two. But nonetheless, here it is. So uh, if you if you saw Part One and you feel like you need to need Part Two, go for it. Otherwise, doesn't really add much. Mm. All right, with that, I think we are done, and uh, we will be back. We I can't believe we're, we're almost in May. No, oh, This year is just burning through. Tick-tock, tick-tock. And uh, I am going, at the end of May, I will be uh, taking my wife and daughter to the uh, new uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. Wow. And so we'll see what that looks like. They spent a billion dollars on that extension. It's only like eight acres. It better be fantastic. It had better be. It's going to be so crowded. You have to get like, you, you've got to sign up for day and hour admissions. It's going to be so crowded. They're trying to find a way to sort of manage the crowds. I don't see how they're going to do it. It's going to yeah. be crazy. All right, with that, we are done. We'll see you guys next week.